Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. Tell me if you've ever seen this or experienced this in your own life. You, have you ever seen a child, like a young child, lose their minds when they, when they drop something or they experience a, like a minor loss, right? So picture this. They're in a high chair, you know, and they're eating, I don't know, fish sticks. And uh, fish sticks. When's the last time you had fish sticks? Fish sticks are good. Uh, I like fish sticks. Anyways, so they're eating fish sticks. And, uh, and you know, this hand is full of fish sticks. Their mouth is full of fish sticks, right? And they drop a fish stick and then they start crying like the world has ended. Have y'all ever seen this? Have you ever experienced this? Right, we've all experienced this. And being a parent is sort of this weird paradox where uh, that child is having the worst day of their 11 months and you're trying to find your phone so you can video them having this cry fit, right? You're trying to get the other parent to come in here and look at this, look, they're crying. There's, you know, there's a fish stick on the ground. And we know we know that it is a silly thing to cry about. That's why we're laughing at them, right? It's a silly, you can get more fish sticks. You have more fish sticks. There's a lot more fish sticks right there. You know, they've got some of it falling out of their mouth and it's like, you have plenty of fish stick. But they cry. They don't know that this isn't a big deal. They're just upset because they're experiencing a loss, right? And they're sad about it. And this is not something that we grow out of. It's not. It really isn't. As much as we like to pretend it is, it's not. You ever, uh, you ever get a scratch on your new truck and you're and you, like, I'm going to trade it in now. I need a new one. This one. It's ridiculous. It's got a scratch on it. Or you drop some mustard on your shirt and it makes you in a bad mood for the rest of the day. You're like mad. And somebody's like, what's wrong with you? I got mustard on my shirt. What's it to you? You know, why don't you find something else to talk about? You know, that sort of thing. Or you get a scuff on your shoes, something like that. You throw this fit. It's making you emotional. It makes you mad. Something was good. Now it's broken and there's a loss, right? And we feel that. And we feel it deeper than we want to feel it. And if somebody like a loved one points this out, like, you know, you're in a bad mood because there's mustard on your shirt. You're either going to laugh about it because it is ridiculous or you get defensive about it because you don't know how to deal with your emotions and the loss that you are feeling, right? I mean, am I the only one that does this? Everybody does this, right? We all feel this way. We all know people that will get all bent out of shape because something didn't go exactly they, the way they wanted it to go. And here's the deal. It gets deeper and deeper and more meaningful and harder to deal with. We as humans, humans have this whole range of emotions where it starts with the fish sticks, right? It goes to your shirt, your vehicle, your day, your plans don't go the way that you want them to go and you get all upset. But we know that if we think deeper about this, that that's just a small dose of the bigger dose that's eventually going to affect us all. That at some point, your heart will be broken. At some point, like um, usually the way it goes, like you'll lose a pet. It might be a dog, it might be a cat, hamster or goldfish, something like that. You'll, you'll lose the pet. The pet will, will, will pass. It will go to the farm, right? Uh, depending on where your parents tell you that, that that dog went, you know? It'll go to the farm and it hurts. It hurts your heart. And even at the time, you know, maybe you're a teenager and you're like, I'm really sad about this, but I don't want to cry. I can't cry in front of my friends, that sort of thing. We don't know 
what we're dealing with. Or your heart will break because there's a love loss. You know, somebody breaks up with you. Or there's a friendship that goes away. You know, these things hurt. And they're deeper. They're the same thing as dropping a fish stick, but it's deeper and it hurts more. And on some level, we try to laugh about it. But on another level, we deeply feel this. And then you lose a grandparent or an aunt, an uncle. Perhaps you lose a friend to death unexpectedly. And we know that nothing can prepare us. Nothing. As much as we would feel all of those things before it happens, nothing can adequately prepare us for the loss of a child or a spouse. We know that this is coming, right? We know that inevitably we are going to face some sort of deep, life-altering loss. We know that. And yet, even though we are fully aware of it, and we get it in smaller doses up until a larger dose of it, we are so woefully ill-prepared to deal with it. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to look at it. But the reality is that it's going to happen and we are going to get punched in the gut and our eyes are going to water, our knees are going to shake, and we are going to not know which way is up, which way is down. We are going to feel what we call grief. We're going to experience grief. And so today, because we don't talk about it, I thought what we would do is talk about it. So let's talk about grief this morning. But before we do, let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you that the Bible is not ignorant to the real experiences that we feel. Thank you that you have provided for us teaching and understanding and and tools to equip us to deal with these pains. So God, I pray that as we leave here today, we would be better prepared to adjust when we drop our fish stick. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First Thessalonians chapter 4, like I said, we're in 13. I'm going to read down to verse 18. You follow along with the Bible that's in your hands there. If you do not have a Bible, after the service, come see me. I have some for you. I'd love to give you one. Uh, if you're using some sort of device, I'm using what's called the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. This is what the Word of God says. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we say this to you by the word of the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with him. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That's the text, but the focal passage is going to be 13 through 14. This is just where we're going to zoom in on. And we'll hyperlink to a couple of the other verses here in just a minute. But this is the main passage. We do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant. It's not like you're 
stupid or dumb. It's that you don't know. That's what he's saying. We don't want you to not know this, brothers and sisters. One of the things that's really striking about Thessalonians is as you read it, it's very heartfelt. It is very much brother and sister to brother and sister. It's loved one to loved one concerning those who are asleep. Those would be our loved ones that have died. Both the Greeks and the Jews use the language of sleep to sort of soften the concept of death. So that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. What Paul is saying here is not that Christians will not experience grief. It's just that we will experience grief differently. He says, so that you will not grieve like the rest. Notice that. Zero in on that. Pay attention to that. He's not saying so that you will not grieve. He's saying so that you will not grieve like the rest. You're going to experience grief. He just wants you to experience it differently. And that's really what the point of the message is going to be. However, before we get to that difference, let's just sit for a moment in our grief. Let's think about that pain and what it is. Grief is defined as an emotional or cognitive response to a significant loss. One resource I read this week described it or, or compared it to the way that your body might respond to a surgery. There's a pain, there's hurt because something has been removed. A piece is missing. It's chaotic and it's disorienting. One of the reasons that we don't talk about grief one of the reasons that we don't equip our children to deal when they have grief, one of the reasons we don't know what to say when someone else is feeling grief is because it is so chaotic. It is so disorienting. It makes us feel out of control. Like I don't, I, and, we, and we feel out of control like on a bunch of levels, right? Like my heart is out of control. I hurt and I don't know how to make it stop hurting. My mind is out of control. I was wanting this, but now that's not a possibility. And I don't know how to put it back. Our lives are out of control. I wish I could bring her back. I wish I could restore this. I wish I could have prevented, but I can't. All of it feels from the inside out, out of control. And so we don't deal with it. And we don't know how to navigate it. And as adults, we don't deal with it well, and our children see that. Our children see that, and then they grow up thinking improper ways about grief. They don't know how to deal with it. They never saw dad cry. They never saw mom cope with that. They never saw them deal with it, right? And so they grow up, and it just perpetuates, and we grow up, and we all do this, right? And so it is important for us to think at least to begin to think biblically about grief. Grief is, listen to me on this, grief is a normal part of the Christian life. One of the assumptions that many people pick up about Christianity is that it's going to be all about us being happy. You trust Jesus and you are happy, happy the rest of your life, right? Nothing goes wrong. There's no pain, there's no loss, there's no sadness, but that's just not the reality. The Christian life journey is not different terrain or it's just a different experience. We walk the same dirt that non-believers walk. We just walk it differently. And so just as there are healthy ways to deal with grief, which we'll talk about in just a moment, I want to point out two unhealthy ways that Christians often deal with grief. 
One of them that I've seen is a over-devotion to church and to Christianity and to religion, right? And you, you might be saying, well, Pastor, how is that possibly bad? How is, somebody, how is it bad that somebody would become overly devoted in their grief towards the church and towards religion and those sort of things? Well, because they never deal with the pain that they're, they're using the church to distract them from the reality that is in front of them. Listen, you can't walk around your grief. You can only walk through the grief. You can't become overly devoted. You can't use the things of Jesus to distract you from the pain that Jesus is walking with you through. So over-devotion to religion, to the things of Jesus, will distract us from what Jesus is doing in our lives. Another unhealthy way that we might deal with our grief is a natural extension of one of the things that we believe. As Christians, as biblical Christians, we believe that God is all-powerful. That's, that's one of the attributes. He has to be all-powerful or he's not God. We believe that he's all-powerful. We believe that he is sovereign, that he is in control. And so we deal with something that we cannot control, that we feel is negative, that we feel is bad, that we wish wouldn't happen. And so we turn on God saying, you, you're the one who's supposed to be sovereign. You're the one who is in control of these things and you let it happen. My pain is your fault. These two places are naturally expected. It makes sense. Listen to me. It makes sense that you would spend some time in those spots as you walk in your grief. It's just, hear me, it's just unhealthy to stay in those spots. You can't stay there. You have to get through this and you have to get on the other side of it. Here's something that we don't often think about, but Jesus experienced grief. There's a passage there where his buddy Lazarus dies. And he even uses the language of his sleep. And the disciples thought, well, he, he, must be, he must be sleeping off his illness, you know. But Jesus knew that he would pass. And there's this moment in which Jesus sees uh, Lazarus' sisters, okay? These four were like really tight, okay? The, the two sisters, Lazarus and Jesus, they were friends, like real like sit around the campfire, you know, um, pull somebody's chair out from under them, friends, all right? Long friends. And Lazarus dies. And there's this moment in the Bible where it says that Jesus cries. He cries. He hurts. He experienced that sort of loss as, he, as his friend was gone and as his other friends are grieving the loss of their brothers. Jesus, or the brother Jesus grieves. He he cries. There's another passage in Luke 19 where Jesus is looking at the city of Jerusalem, a city that he loved. And he knows that very shortly this city will be destroyed because of their rebellion. And it says that he cried. That Jesus grieved the loss, the destruction of the great city of Jerusalem. Jesus grieves in all the same ways that we grieve. Jesus experienced grief. And so knowing that grief is a normal it's normal. It's a normal part of the Christian life. And knowing that Jesus grieved, what I want to tell you and what I want you to write down on your piece of paper, but write it down on your own heart. You are allowed to grieve. You are permitted to grieve. You are allowed as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, to feel that pain, to hurt in that way. 
you are permitted to do that. It does not make you a bad Christian. It does not make you a weak man, a helpless woman, to feel that sort of pain. It is human and it is Christian to experience that grief. You are allowed to grieve. I read something very interesting this week. It says, because grief is a social event, it cannot be resolved in isolation. You've heard me say before that small groups are great when things are going good, but they're really built for when things are going poorly. You need those other people to come alongside of you. And so I hope that you're in a small group and I hope that you'll get in a small group. But even if you're not, there's this ministry called Grief Share. Good, solid, biblical ministry. And on Thursday nights at six o'clock here in Conway at Fellowship Bible Church, they meet and it's open. I spoke to uh, Joe and Mary. They're the discussion leaders. And they, they said that you are welcome to come. You are invited to come. And after the service, Joe and Mary will be in the lobby. They're standing um, over by that spool by the elevator. And they have information on it. So if you're grieving and you want to get more information, you can go there. And remember, some of you might be saying, I feel pain and loss because I lost my job. Not really because I lost a loved one. That's, that's the same. It's grief, all right? We have a wide spectrum. All right? If you dropped your fish stick, you know, just talk to me. I'll, I'll help you with that. But the other ones, you know, Grief Share may be a great place for you. I want you, to, I want you to experience that. So you can go and do that. You are allowed to grieve. Paul's reasonable expectation, Paul, the Bible's assumption is that you will experience grief. It's just that you will not experience grief like the rest who, he says, who have no hope. The rest, those others, the rest have no hope. Hear me on this. This is important. Hope is not the opposite of grief. Hope is the way we grieve. It's not the opposite. It's the way that Christians experience grief. We have to really catch this. We have to focus in on this. We have to pay attention to this because we think that as good Christians, what we're going to do is we're going to put on a happy face. We're going to tell the world that we're okay because of Jesus. But listen, it's okay. It's fine. It's acceptable that you are not okay with Jesus, right? That you're not okay. You're hurting and Jesus is with you. That Jesus is walking with you. It's fine for somebody to say, hey, how are you doing since the loss, and you say, I'm not doing well, but Jesus is with me. I'm hurting, and Jesus is with me. This, <laughs> there's no better English word. This sucks, and Jesus is with me, right? It's fine for you to be that way. That's not what hope is. Hope is not the opposite of grief. Hope is the way that we grieve. Hope is defined as a desire, a desire accompanied by an expectation that the desire will be obtained. Hope is not a wish. A wish is what I want and I'm not sure if I'm going to get it. Hope is this is what I desire and I fully expect that it will happen. That's what hope is. It has three parts. There's our thoughts, hopeful thoughts. There's our feelings, feeling hopeful. And there's our actions, acting hopeful. And all of those are going to lean on the other ones at different po points. You may not feel hopeful, so you think hopeful. You uh, zero your mind and you set your mind on the hope that is in Jesus. You may not think hopefully, so you're going to act hopefully. 
You're going to um, produce that within your own minds. Thinking and feeling and actions. These are at times weaker than the other. And hope does not mean, hope does not mean that the pain is not real. Because you have a confident expectation that things are going to work out does not mean that you didn't deeply love her. It does not mean that you, did, you do not deeply miss him. The pain is real. It's just hope is the way that we deal with that. Hope sits with us in the midst of that pain. Hope doesn't pretend that you're not feeling that pain. Hope walks with you in that pain. We have to realize, we have to accept, we have to know this reality that you do not walk alone. The Bible says, and hear, it in, hear, hear this verse, I'm about to quote a verse to you. Hear this in relation to grief and the loss in death and hope. That yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you, thou, are with me. You are with me. The Bible says other things about hope. Psalms 119, 16, 116. Sustain me as you promised and I will live. Do not let me be ashamed of my hope. Hope is what sustains us. You need to be sustained when you are burdened, right? When you are weighed down. When it is hard and difficult to move forward. Hebrews 6 calls hope the anchor of our soul. Hope is the anchor of our soul. When we feel like we're going to be knocked down, when we feel like we don't know which way to go, hope is what keeps us. But, listen, so the Bible's clear on this. We will, it is normal for Christians to experience grief, some sort of loss, and the pain associated with that loss. It's just that we would do so, hopefully, with this confident expectation in the future. But then you've got to ask the question, maybe through your tears, maybe in the middle of your grief, you've got to ask the question, but how? How would I be hopeful how would I go to the funeral of somebody I love, hopefully? How would I look at the, at, at the, at the letter that says that I, don't, I no longer have a way to provide for my family, hopefully? How would I do that? Well, listen, that hope is rested in. The hope is only as strong as what you anchor it to. When Hebrews says that hope is the anchor to our soul, that's only as strong as what, or in our case, who you anchor that to. That's what this next phrase says, for if we believe that Jesus. Listen, for Christians, we don't have hope that it'll all just work out. That the world is just spinning so fast that eventually all the bad's going to fly off, right? That's not the way that we don't have this cosmic just good things happen to good people, right? And eventually this is going to work out. We have hope in a person, in an individual, in the actual person of Jesus. This, and this especially pertains to the idea of the loss of a loved one or the death or the threat of death taking us, right? When we think about death ourselves, when we face death, sometimes we will grieve. Sometimes people will grieve as they face their own death, right? Because they're grieving like the loss of the plans, of the things that they wanted to do, those sort of things. And so they're grieving that, but we put our hope in Jesus. And it's not because Jesus is kind, which I think he is. It's not because Jesus is powerful, which I'm sure he is, or that he's strong, or that he's safe, 
or that he's smart. We don't put our hope in Jesus because of those things. We put our hope in Jesus not because of who he is necessarily, but in what he did. Because we believe that Jesus died and, and rose again. To put this another way, my hope in my pain that is often experienced in the loss and the separation that death often is the key or the height of that feeling is put in the person who beats death. Jesus beats death. So if you were to ask a child, what is Christmas about? A child might respond to you and say, that's when Jesus was born, right? And they are right, right? Christmas is about when Jesus is born. And then if you were to ask them, well, what is Easter about? What's Palm Sunday Easter about? That's when Jesus died, right? And that's natural and that's not wrong. It's just not complete. That's the natural order of things, born and then died. But we're not talking about the natural order of things. We're talking about the supernatural order of things, that he was born, that he died, and that he rose again. Jesus beats death. This is how we can hope. This is how we can be confident because we put our faith and our trust in the one who beat death. So as we celebrate Palm Sunday, as the children came up here with the palm leaves and and we remember the day in which Jesus triumphantly rode, rode into Jerusalem knowing that he triumphantly came up out of the grave, that we celebrate this because Jesus beat death. And that's what we hope in. It's completely different than any other hope or assurance, or expectation. In that, in that reality that Jesus beat death, we have three ramifications, right? Three impacts to us. Because Jesus beat death, we have resolution. One day, it will become clear to you. I don't, I don't know why. I promise you. I wish I did. I don't know why you lost your loved one. I don't know why you lost your loved one the way you lost your loved one. To be really honest with you, it doesn't make sense to me either. I'm just sitting there with you. I don't know why you're feeling the pain that you're feeling. I don't know why that they left at the age that they left. I don't. But one day, it will make sense to us. One day there will be an answer to the questions. We know that because Jesus beat death. We will have resolution. We will have reunion. Isn't that a great thing? A lot of people read this passage that I just read to you a moment ago, and they want to talk about the return of Christ, the parousia of Jesus, right? They want to talk about those things, and that is a big part of what's going on in that text. But remember, Paul's point is to talk to you about those who are asleep, and he says very specifically, and then we will meet them in the air. That for those who have gone on ahead of us that loved Jesus, that trusted in Jesus, then we will be reunited with them. And even more than that, in verse 17 it says, and so we will be with Jesus forever. We will be united, reunited with Jesus. So we have resolution to the question. We have reuniting. What death pulled apart, Jesus puts right back together. And then we have relief. Look, death, that isolation, that, that, that loss, that separation is just one of the pains that we feel. 
But because Jesus beat death, there will be a day when there will be relief. There's no more pain in the loss. Every tear will be dried. Because Jesus beats death, all of the pain is resolved. But he says it very clearly here. It's so clear what Paul says there. Remember he said, let me get back to the verse. For if we believe, if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, then you grieve with hope. If you believe that Jesus died and rose again, then you have hope in your grief. There will be resolution, reuniting, and relief. But hear me on this, and this is very important. If you do not believe, if you do not trust Jesus, then you are like the rest. You are like the rest. You are hopeless. You grieve without hope. For those of you who have not yet trusted Jesus, then at the end of this life, when you go through death, it's just more death. There is no resolution. There are no answers. There's no relief from the pain. There's no reuniting with the loved ones and with Jesus. At the end of death for you is more death. If you believe and trust in Jesus, then you have life at the end of this life. If you don't, trust Jesus. Believe Jesus. Trust Jesus. He is the answer. He's the reason that we can walk through this. We are all going to experience grief. Experience grief with the hope anchored in the person who beats death. My invitation to you, I am begging you, do not roll the dice on this. Trust Jesus now, knowing that he has beat death. Look at that last verse. Verse 18 says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Lift up, encourage one another. So here's what I want to do. I want to end what seems like a very sad verse, right? This is a hard message for me to preach, right? Primarily because it ain't funny. It's just, this just ain't funny. But it is encouraging. I want to encourage you in these three ways. First of all, I want to encourage you in your grief. Some of you experienced the loss a long time ago and you've never really dealt with the grief. I want to encourage you to feel that to be in that, to feel that pain. And to hopefully, through grief share or a small group or other Christians, to walk through it, to get through it. Ultimately knowing that you will find resolution, relief, and reuniting. I want to encourage you in your grief. I want to encourage you to trust Jesus. To put your faith and your hope and your future in the one who beat death and on our, our, on our behalf, he gives us life, giving meaning and relief to our pain and reuniting that which death separates. I want to encourage you to be baptized. I want to encourage you in your grief. I want to encourage you to trust Jesus. I want to encourage you to be baptized. A few moments ago, we celebrated what's called the Lord's Supper. And the, Jesus gave the church two habits, two practices, the Lord's Supper and baptism. The Lord's Supper focuses in on his death, right? His body sacrificed, his blood spilled, that's his death, and we celebrate in that because he was the sacrifice for us. But the, Lord, uh, but the baptism celebrates the life that Jesus gives us. The resurrection, not his death, 
his resurrection. That's why we put you down under the water. That's why we put people under the water and we don't sprinkle and we don't pour. We put them under the water and lift them up because it symbolizes this life that he gives. And so for the person who has trusted in Jesus, they stand in that water and they declare before the whole world, I have died to myself, but God has given me life in Jesus. I trust the one who beat death. And so here in a few weeks, we're going to have a baptism Sunday. And if you haven't been baptized yet, you have questions about that, then ask them. Come up to me and ask me. Or on that bulletin, fill that part out and say, I want more information about being baptized. Or I want to be baptized. I trust Jesus. I want to be baptized. I encourage you in your grief. I encourage you to trust Jesus. I encourage you to be baptized. A few weeks ago when we were in Arizona, on Facebook, every relationship we had, everybody we talked to, they all said the same thing. Go to Sedona, all right? We were in Phoenix, but everybody said, you need to go to Sedona, right? And they were right. It is beautiful. It's like a drive north of there. And so one morning we load up and we go to Sedona. And I saw, I saw buttes, all right? Now, I'd never seen a butte before. I saw buttes and they're beautiful, right? I saw all sorts of great things. It's really weird to call red dirt, scraggly trees and rocks beautiful, but they are, you know, God stacked them up in a really pretty way. It was a whole amazing thing. We wanted to do some hiking, and so we go out there, and we were looking at several of the trails, and most of them said that you needed to be expert level. Some of them said that there was a portion of the trail where you would have to climb the rock face, all right? It's not really our game. We're out on that one. One said, leave your dogs at home, your, um, your, your children at home, make a will, and then go try this, this deal. We're not, we're not doing that. We found one, though. It was like Easy Peasy Trail, right? I think that was the actual name of it. And you park. It had nice paved parking. And, and then you go across and you go down this little dirt path. It wasn't paved. It was dirt. And it was kind of cool. I mean, it was actually really cool. It's pretty in parts and all this sort of stuff. We got to the end of it. I want to say it was like a mile one way or a mile both. Do you remember? It was three miles? Wow. I did a three-mile hike, you guys. So it was like three miles... And then we came back, you know, and uh, halfway back, we came across this lady, this older lady, and she had, it was either a walking stick or a cane, I I forget. And she's like leaning against a a rock and um, her face is all red and she is sweating like, like she's having the worst day of her life, right? And her husband, I assume that was her husband, he's standing there too. And so I come around the little bend there and I see her and I said, I said, hey. And she, just, she doesn't say hey or nothing. She goes, what is at the end of this? <laughs> she says, what am I walking to? Just like that. And I said, I said, uh, I did like this. More of this, all right? There's, there's more of this stuff there, all right? We got all the way to the end? Just like this. Jackie says, uh, Jackie was like, there's a little sign that says, end of trail. And uh, I kid you not, that was literally the end of it. There's just a little, it's like this big, it's, you know, nailed to a little tree, end of trail. And that was true. It just wasn't all the way true. There was a little sign at the end of the trail, but actually what was at the end of the trail was this. Y'all watch this video. I'm afraid of heights, but... This is a video I took at the end of that trail. I scurried up the side of the little mountain there and um, I got as high as I could get. And then I started taking this video down here in a minute, down in the dark, dark shadows. You can barely see Jackie and Amos waving at me. They're way down in there. And um, it's like taking a picture with the, of the moon. 
You can't capture the beauty of this scenery. It was one of the most breathtaking, beautiful scenes that I experienced on that trip. It was awesome, all right? That's what's at the end of that trail. If you go right past the little end of trail sign, you can kind of go up the side of the mountain there and you'll eventually get up to the top there where you could take a picture. But listen to me. When I was halfway there, I told that lady, when I was coming back, when she says, what's at the end of this? I said, more of this. More rocks, dirt, and scraggly tree. Because hear me, for her, that is all that was at the end of this. She was barely going to make it to the end of the trail. She sure was not going to make it up the side of that mountain. For her, at the end of all that dry desert rock was just more dry desert rock. She and I walked the exact same trail, the exact same path. But for her, at the end was more of the same. But for me, at the end was beauty and purpose and the entire reason I was on that trail. It's entirely different what waits for you at the end on how you walk the trail. Hear me. For Christians, you are going to feel pain. You are going to feel loss. But at the end of this is beauty and purpose and answers. If you are not a Christian, at the end of this, it's just more of the same. Death, sadness, and separation. Trust Jesus. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.